Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of The Hollywood Podcast, covering the latest in film, TV, streaming, and social media. I'm your host, Max Geshwind. Stay tuned for today's episode. So, Ilya, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I just saw Nobody last week, and I absolutely loved it. It was such a fun watch from beginning to end, and I think it's so great how it's coming out right now at this time as, you know, theaters in LA are about, are, have reopened, New York theaters have just reopened. So, and this is such a, you know, must see to watch on the big screen. So it's very meant to be, I think, coming out right now. I wanted to start though at the beginning because I know this is a script written by Derek Kolstad, who's known for writing the John Wick films. And um, he did Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is just coming out right now. Um, how did you find his script and what was the inspiration that made you want to take this on? The original idea came from Bob. We, you know, this must've been 10 years ago. There was a bit of a situation in his home. There was a break-in, uh, an intruder. And, you know, they, 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 with the producer, they found, um, they made their way to Derek and uh, uh, going off this idea of a guy who could have fought back, but decided not to. What was the reason for that? And that was the, the, the sort of the seed for the idea. And Derek wrote a draft and I got the draft by my agents and I read it uh, same day I got it because the email just said by Derek Kolstad starring Bob Wodenkirk, eighty-seven yeah. eleven a producer. And I opened the script and by the time I was done, I knew I wanted to do it. There's a lot of things I felt could and should, sh- should be improved, but there was something at the very heart of the story that it just clicked because I, you know, I've been getting a lot of action scripts and I've been passing for a lot of things for the last you know, five years as I was developing my own material, but this one clicked and I got in a call with Bob and instead of talking about the action, how great that's going to be, because I just, the action is the easy part. Uh, once you know what you're doing, it's, it's done. We're talking about the script and I told him what I th- thought was this film is about what it should be about. And there's hints of it. Uh, there were hints for that in that draft, but I said, Bob, forgive me if I'm totally off base here, but this seems to me that it's a story about a guy who's addicted to violence. Mm-hmm. And unlike every other entry into this uh, older, uh, retired killer, hitman, what have you, and coming back, this is not about, this is not about a guy who really doesn't want to, but has to. You know, they killed my dog. I got to get revenge. They stole my daughter. I got to get her back. This is about a story about a guy who doesn't have to, but he really wants to. And that's what makes it special. And if we lean on that, we can make something very different in a, in a pretty much a genre that is, you know, usually by the numbers. And those numbers are good. People enjoy those films. I enjoy those films. But if I was going to spend, you know, three years of my life on something, I want to make sure there's something special in it that's going to, keep me very excited every day working on it. And once we got that theme and Bob loved it, and so did Derek, we started working on implementing more and more and reworking the script. It just, um, it becomes, everything becomes so much easier once you understand what your film is about. It really is, it's such an obvious thing to say, but it really is the key. I think a lot of films can make up their mind, they have a lot of great ideas, but just can't focus on one thing. And if you focus on one thing, again, writing becomes easier, directing becomes easier. So that's the that's how this film happened. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned before, this is the follow up to your breakout, Hardcore Henry, back in 
2015 that I think really put you on the map. Um, how did that film give you the ability to take on Nobody? I know you said you got a lot of action scripts post-Hardcore Henry, um, but how did you feel like you were ready for Nobody? Well, in terms of, I, was, I always wanted to be the director and I knew I was going to be the director from a very early age. Mm -hmm. I got very lucky. I just loved movies and I was, there was nothing else. I think I considered I wanted to be an architect for about two days until someone explained you have to be really good with physics and math. And I was like, yeah, not going to happen. Yeah. So, you know, it took a long time to get to actually directing, but um, hardcore, because it was such a, it, it's a very silly movie. It was always planned to be ridiculous and over the top and just let's throw everything and the kitchen sink into, into, um, into a POV like adventure. Uh, the script was, just a blaster, right? Because I was just playing with little toy soldiers, except the toy soldiers were now, you know, budgets and real explosions and what have you. But it was a complicated film to make. Every film is complicated, but hardcore more so because it's such a experiment. And throughout the vast number of days we shot, uh, throughout, you know, the long, long, long post-process, you learn every day. You learn on set every day, you learn in pre-production every day, you learn and post every day. And um, I think it allowed me to have an understanding. The biggest thing that came away from hardcore uh, was a, how to make a movie, how to pace a movie, but more importantly, how to tell a story because with hardcore, there was no story to be told. It's such a, such a simple thing. And I mean, I like the story in it in the sense that it's very, it's a great excuse for some kick-ass action. Yeah. But I always felt that there was just frankly no time as we were writing, I was writing the script and prepping the movie at the same time, which is stupid and silly. I said, I'd never do it again. So we were lucky this one, we had like nine months before we had to shoot where we just kept reworking and working talking about it and talking and talking. And, you know, movie, movie making, a lot of it is, is a lot of talking, just discussions and going back and forth and figuring things out and best idea wins type of thing. So the five years that passed from hardcore, hardcore came out in April, 2016. So we're coming out exactly five years to the day or, five one week less than five years right yeah um but it's i wrote a lot with some great authors i co-wrote scripts i wrote a tv show uh so i have all these when hardcore came out everybody was like what do you want to do next kid what do you want to do next and i was like i don't know because all the stuff i was working on before was all in russia uh, in russian planned to shoot in russia so now there's now the west has opened up hollywood is like what you got mm -hmm. and i was like uh nothing so I said, right. if I'll have a movie, I want to have, I want to, you know, I want to have a lot of things I want to do, a lot of things that I love. So I spent the last five years, you know, I was keeping myself afloat by directing music videos and commercials back home in Russia. But at the same time, I was writing with some great Western uh, writers on very different genres. And I learned so much from them that with nobody, it was just, it wasn't easy, but it was, it was logical work. I wasn't, I knew what I was doing. And I think it's just his personal growth too, because I was 29 when Hardcore started. I was 36 or 35 when nobody came. And those five years, probably the best learning experience of my life. So hope that answers the question. No, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I just look at Hardcore now. I look at nobody and, you know, Hardcore was distributed by STX mm -hmm. Films, which is, you know, kind of on the smaller side. And so it was a fairly new studio at the mm -hmm. time. And now you had, you know, Universal come into the picture and you know so much a huge you know one of the six major studios in Hollywood take this on so it really speaks to the growth and I guess the assurance that 
you know, Hollywood had in you as a director and taking this on over to the next level. Um, so I wanted to switch over to the casting of Bob Odenkirk. I know you said that Bob was attached to this prior to you coming on, but when you, you know, started getting involved, you know, I think Bob Odenkirk was such an out of the box pick for this type of character. It's not something that you've seen him really do in the past. Did you, um, was there any sort of pressure on your end or um, did you feel it would be a little difficult at first to try to get him to do all the things he had to do physically? since it's something you've never seen before from Bob and his prior work? No, because we would have made a good movie had Bob not put in two years of work. But yeah. because he put in the two years of work, we now, I think, made a, a great movie. And a lot of it rests on him. Mm -hmm. And we always were obvious that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, we could have done the stunts, you know, with doubles and everything as per the usual Hollywood movie magic as everybody does, very few stars put in two years of work for a film. It just, especially when you're 55 and you're like, all right, I'll start going to the gym seriously for the first time in my life. Yeah. And he was doing, you know, 15 pull-ups with three takes in a row. So we're all standing there going, all right, after the film wrapped, I, I, I hit the gym hard. He was a, a complete inspiration to me personally. Um, but from the get-go, we were talking with Bob and he was explaining how he started, you know, rehearsing and training. And I, you know, I showed up at uh, the this rehearsal space and there was Keanu training for John Wick 3. You know, he was fighting against 12 people and it looked exactly as you'd imagine. It looked great because it's Keanu and he's been doing it since 1992. And he really, you know, puts in the work. And in the little corner of that, of that room, you know, a little, you know, surrounded by boxes, as Thumbman always used boxes for, you know, everything, uh, was Bob going one-on-one. -on -one. He was sweating. It was hard for him. He was, he'd get up, he'd start, he'd fall back down. They'd push him, he'd punch and be going over and over. And I was standing there recording him on my iPhone and thinking, I hope we get a chance to make this movie because what I'm seeing here is so incredibly special. It's a real actor, uh, a true actor's actor, someone who you know can deliver anything you want. And he's gonna be working his ass off to get to this incredible, uh, incredible shape. Um, so it was, you know, Bob and I was discussed that we're not going to have him play the Terminator, whereas he doesn't take any damage and he just, you know, you know, cuts like a knife through butter. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to have a guy who's going to be a stumbling hero. He's going to be falling down. He's going to get smacked. He's going to miss uh, punches. Uh, he's going to have punches landed on his face. He's going to be wounded. He's going to be spitting blood. And not just because it's very relatable, but because it makes for... It just... I connect to the story much more because I'm seeing a real human being do, do it. And when in all the fights, you have Bob's fantastic acting in every single action scene. It's not just him, you know, gritting his teeth uh, every shot of the, uh, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the scene. He's always acting. That's why it was very important when we were shooting all the action beats is that I constantly make sure to have his face on camera. Not just, you know, there's no shaky cam. And there's no shaky cam because Bob was good enough to do long sequences. And every time we cut, we cut for a bigger impact, not because Bob couldn't do, you know, these 10 beats in a row, because he could, especially, you know, with the stuntman that we had, the great sound choreographer, Greg Rementer. Um, it's, um, it was just a complete pleasure. It's, it's a gift to a director to have a star who, who works that hard. Something that you mentioned that I absolutely agree with is that, you know, he kind of is sort of like a bumbling hero, like a little bit yep. sloppy and messy, which I absolutely loved. I feel like a lot of times in action movies, like the heroes are just like always dominating and it's always very clean, but it's, it's just, there's something very 
sloppy about him in his fight scenes where like he would take punches a lot of the time, but you know, he would come right back, which was so great to see. And I think about the bus fight scene particularly, which I think is the one scene that a lot of people are going to walk away remembering for a long time. Can you give me some insight into that scene, how long that took? And Sure. Yeah. Uh, it was the first action beat, action scene that we shot. I think it was mm-hmm. middle of week two. We had three days in total, three nights rather. So, you know, uh, 36 hours, 12 hour days, no overtime, uh, mm-hmm. cold. It's in Winnipeg. That's mm-hmm. where we shot. Um, very tight space. We right off the bat, we decided we're not going to, you know, cut the bus in half and do all those sort of trickery. We're going to make it feel claustrophobic. We're going to be right in his face. It just, again, uh, it's so much more impactful, especially on the big screen. Uh, and this film was made for the big screen yeah. in the sense that you want to see Bob, you know, up there taking up just as you're I'm seeing you now. That's what I wanted to see with Bob. Right. And above helps with that. Um, it's a little, it's a little uncomfortable, you know, turning and you know making sure the camera doesn't hit all the poles so you know we made the soft floor for the the padding for the bus floor and that's about it there was no more trickery it's a real bus uh it was always running to make sure there's some heat and we're not you know freezing to death out there especially bob and his little suede jacket um but um it was about a half half a night to crash the car and get everybody on the bus and set up the chess pieces on the board um and then it was two and a half nights uh, two and a half uh uh, nights of uh, ferocious fighting. Uh, so um, uh, Bob was nervous. I remember. I remember seeing him, him nervous for the first time. This was, yeah. you know, because uh, it's kind of like a. I think Tarantino said it best. He he said like you know you can direct when you're standing on the top. It's like a skier standing on the top of a mountain, and he's, he's in a double diamond, and you're looking down. Like I should be able to go down this and not break myself. And then you don't know until you really go. And that was the same thing. I knew that, you know, Bob was in great shape. Bob trained hard. The stuntmen all knew what they're doing. We had all the previses. We're fully ready. Um, you know, we talked about the scene for so long, but I remember Bob being a little anxious. And, you know, until we, until we got into the fighting, I think it was on, on the second shot, you know, he got punched, he lands a punch and I'm seeing that now he's really into it and it's no longer, uh, is it going to work or is it not going to work? And then I came home that night you know, it took off 15 layers of clothes because it was that cold. Yeah, They call it winter peg for a reason. And they also claim that it's colder there in February than, than it is on Mars, which oh, I find wow. a fact. Um, you know, I'm Russian. I should be able to take the, the, the cold, but no. <laughs> I, I like the heat a little bit more. Yeah. But uh, I came home that night and I, you know, the first, after the first night, I took all these layers of clothes, I opened up my laptop and I sent him, Bob, the, the shortest email I've ever sent him. And it just said, Bob, you're a fucking action star. Yeah. Uh, have a good night. That's it. Yeah. Uh, and we all felt that on the day, you know, we're sitting, I just watched the BTS footage, uh, Universal sent to me and I totally forgot about them. We're sitting there with Pavel, uh, the DP and sitting there with Daniel, Bob's trainer, who's also Daniel also played one of the, the, the toothless, uh, thug on the bus mm-hmm. and there's a video and we start and you can see all our smiling faces. I'm giddy. I'm like, yes, we're doing it. This is fucking great. <laughs> so it was just, you know, um, uh, can I use the word magical? Maybe that's what he felt. I, I just felt very happy because I knew this was, you know, this was it. This is working and this is going to be a, because uh, we, you know, we shot a lot of the dramatic stuff up front and this was the test of will this film, because the film will sink or swim based on the first action scene in the mind of the audience. Because if you fuck that up, that's it. People are not going to be interested in what happens afterwards. So stakes are high, but, um, you know, 
I think we did a pretty damn great job. No, oh, yeah. And you're hooked from that, you know, bus fight scene and you want to see what happens next. And starting Friday, everyone's going to think of Bob as an action star now, which is I great. Can't, I, can't, I, I think one of the things I was, one of my goals was whatever happens with the movie, I'll do my best. You know, we've got some great things in it, but a fantastic cast, great action stuff. And I think story emotionally is there as well. Yeah. Is I wanted to make sure that at the end of it, Bob is going to be happy that he picked me because he was the guy that said, let's get this dude. And it's, a, you know, high stakes for me. First American movie. It's high stakes for Bob's first action film. Yeah. High stakes novel who never did a studio. He never shot a studio film before. Our production designer, Roger Fires, never did production design on a studio film. So we're all like, you know, we worked seven days a week and we never complained because this is a big deal. Right. And I, I mean, I have no problem working that hard when you know what the goal is. And I remember showing Bob the very final version after we did all the sound and the VFX, everything's ready. We sat in summer and August in, uh, in California and LA and, you know, we're wearing the masks and we're all sitting in the theater. I'm sitting kind of close to Bob and, you know, I know the film so well, I know every single pixel on that screen, but I'm always just, you know, looking at Bob and just seeing how he's reacting. And I'm seeing through the mask, there's a smile. And I knew that, you know, we did it. We did oh, it. And awesome. I think he's very proud and that makes us all very proud of our work. That's great. And following up on, Bob, I think one of my other favorite parts of the film was the casting of Christopher Lloyd as Bob's mm -hmm. dad, because I think he really surprises you. You think he's going to just be this one type of person throughout the whole movie, but he does stuff that you just didn't not see coming. Um, where was that idea to cast Christopher Lloyd, since I feel like we haven't seen him in a while on screen? Well, from the very beginning, we were talking about this. This was back in 2018, and I remember we started making lists of all the possible actors for all the parts. and. Mm -hmm. Um, I said, look, it'd be great to have whoever we get for dad, for David. Um, let's, in an ideal world, this would be, you know, an uh, octogenarian actor who is known for being very warm and friendly, who is known for very positive characters, um, so comes with the right kind of baggage. Uh, we haven't seen him do action. Um, so let's start looking. We made lists and we had lists of sort of more expected people uh great actors great actors and then um before we went out to anybody bob calls and says guys what about christopher lloyd and we we're like that's it that's it there's no further debates let's just let, let's hope he'll, he'll he'll be up to join us in this uh, little uh, little adventure in winnipeg and then and, and christopher you know we're very lucky that he agreed he loved the script um and he just you know came aboard was a force and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's Christopher Lloyd, America's yeah. trip. And uh, the part where we get to surprise audiences with is what makes, because we know we're going to surprise people how, how amazing Bob is. But I think no less people are going to enjoy what Christopher Lloyd does. And um, it's, we got very lucky with the casting. We got very lucky with the casting in the sense that everybody who we wanted was interested in joining up. And that's right. a beautiful, uh, beautiful place to be for, uh, for a film. And did he do his own stunts or? Yes. Did, oh, wow. That's, there's, there's uh, uh, my, my quick Chris Lloyd story is that first time I spoke to him on the phone, I said, uh, Mr. Lloyd, it's not, uh, this is not in the script, but I wanted like, I'd like to add is that um, I want your character David to carry four shotguns so he doesn't have to reload. And uh, I'll do my horrible Chris Lloyd impersonation, forgive me. Yeah, go for uh, it. I just, uh, he says, Ilya. You know how in movies, actors carry boxes and the boxes are empty. I believe the audience always knows. I was like, 
I hear you loud and clear. So we made the props just in case, but for most of the time he was carrying four heavy shotguns. You know, I tried putting them on just to see what it's like. And I was like, eh, I I'm okay, but I also don't have to act while carrying them. And, you know, um, so it's Christopher Lloyd. He's just yeah. a sweet, this is, he's, you know, Bob is exactly as I expected in the best possible way. So was Christopher Lloyd. It was just, it was wonderful. Yeah. Um, I want to, um, talk about the music choices, which I love during very key action sequences. I felt they really romanticized certain moments and just added to the very cool vibe that those sequences had already that you were watching play out. Um, what was your inspiration behind assembling that soundtrack soundtrack that you had for the film? There was, we had a lot of different options. We had a lot of different options. And there were things that I asked Derek to put in the script so we can start you know, figuring out if we can get the rights early on. Uh, in terms of the Russian stuff, I knew that we're going to make the Russians authentic. We're going to have a Russian cast. We're going to have Russian-speaking Russians, a Russian, and we're also going to have Russian tracks from the early 90s, since that's when Yulian would have immigrated with his brother. Um, so that was the Russian stuff out of the way. We got that pretty quickly, and that stayed throughout. Uh, during the cuts, there was, I think, two or three fully different playlists that could have worked. And I think, ultimately, the reason we went with what we did was that it all works for character. We didn't just find nice tunes that go great with the action because there's billions of choices for each beat, but the songs, they speak to how Hutch feels. And there's always you know, that thin line where you kind of make it like cheesy and say, I'm gonna punch people's faces. And you see people punching people's faces, but when I've gotta be me comes on in the bus, that's what it is. It's he's gotta be himself because he's a goddamn anti-hero who just wants to break some faces. He doesn't have to, but he really wants to. Mm -hmm. So um, I think the frat pack uh, tone, um, it was, I think it was the last pass we did. It was the third pass. And we also, then we had, we had um, uh, David Leach uh, threw in some wonderful choices and suggestions. Uh, we had folks from Universal sending us playlists on Spotify. And I was just, li I've listened to more music during the editing of this film than I've listened to the last five years of my life. In fact, I'm taking a pause. I can't, I haven't put on anything. Uh, since finishing the movie. I just listened to, to so much. And um, again, we're lucky we were able to get the songs we wanted. Um, I think about 95% of the time. Uh, but it's, you know, it's also a little tough for me because in a way there are songs there that are, I, I'd say they're overused. And my favorite example is the, 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 the Chris Lloyd action scene, uh, the first one. And it felt to me like, oh, I've heard this so many times and I was kind of hesitant, but then I hear what happens at the very end. It does feel like it's the, the end of the character, the end of the second act. And it just felt so right. And I was like, you know what? If people have seen the song in movies before, so be it. It works best here. And I'm going to take a backseat with my ego of how I can pick all the best stuff. Ilya, shut up. The film works. Is it better because of it? Enjoy. Yeah. And I had the same moment in Hardcore Henry when we used Queen's uh, Can't Stop, Don't Stop Me Now where I was so proud of that scene. And I was like, this is so great. And I was like, God damn it. Shaun of the Dead, same thing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, if we're going to borrow from the best, that's okay. And um, so there's always, as much as my desire is to find sort of completely new and original things, we've done this in this movie. Um, but it's also okay to go with things that are expected if they work. It's only, cliches are only horrible when they're in a bad film and used horribly, which I think we avoided very rather easily out here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just had two more questions, if that was all right with you. Um, 
But, um, you know, I feel like this, the ending of the film really leaves it a bit open-ended. And I feel like there's such an opportunity to make this into a series where you see, you know, subsequent ad adventures that he goes on and other, you know, troubles he gets into. Do you see that happening maybe down the line where you could have a sequel to this or some sort of series with this character? Every time we'd start talking about potential sequels, I would just honestly, I'd always say this. I'd say, guys, if the first movie works, there'll be a sequel. Mm -hmm. Let's not think about it now because no movie's ever gotten a sequel because the first one said, hey, there'll be a sequel. That's not, it just, as an audience member, it doesn't work. As for, as from a director's viewpoint, it doesn't work. So I think the character Hutch Mansell can be part of some fantastic stories and in a bigger world and there's things to be, stories to be told. However, it was wonderful, even though every studio today, the, no studio starts a film, uh, greenlights a movie without potential for a franchise. That's just how the business is. It's just too expensive to start taking property from zero to you know everybody knowing what it is. Mm -hmm. So that makes total sense. It is what it is. But Universal said, we don't want a case of sequelitis, guys. So we had five or six, six different endings and some were more character driven, some were more story driven. Some were more emotionally um, correct. And it was a toss up which one was right. And we didn't have the, the, the ability to shoot several of them and then pick. So what we did was we, um, I think we made, in, what's the term? Amalgamation? Mm -hmm. is, that, is that a word? Yeah, amalgamation. Okay, nice. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I translate from Russian. I'm like, wait a you second. Got you got Thank it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, but it's that what we have, you know, with the post-credit sequence as well is an amalgamation of the things we wanted to say, because really, the most important storyline that I felt needed closure at the end of the first film, if, if it'll only be the first film, is the storyline with Becca, the wife, played by Connie Nielsen. That's what needed to happen. Uh, and if there is a sequel, if this, you know, if the audience love it and they want more, great, we'll think about it. But um, the point was to make one good film. And then th that's already quite a challenge. So that's it. So for my last question, I know you're obviously gearing up for the anticipation of you know, nobody's release on Friday. Um, but I want to know if there were any other projects you're currently working on. Um, I know you have Leaving Berlin, which is adapted from the New York Times bestseller, which I think is sort of your next project. So could you tell me a little bit more about that when that's expected to shoot? And if you have anything else? Sure, we're only going to be going out to the cast uh, very shortly. Oh, wow. Uh, we have a draft we really like. It's a great book, uh, great character. Uh, and frankly, it's the... As I told you earlier, I've, I've been working on a lot of things that you never know which one's going to go until it goes. When I arrived in Hollywood in 2013, my agent said the first thing he said, and this really surprised me, he said, you have a lot of irons in the fire. That's how you never know until until you know. So mm -hmm. I took that to heart and I you know, worked very hard and self-generated material. But with this book, I just think it's a very special book for today in the sense that it might be a period piece. It's 1949, Berlin, um, and a German Jew who, who ran away from the Holocaust uh, who became a uh, much sought after writer in uh, Hollywood uh, gets kicked out by Senator Nixon, goes back to Berlin, uh, to East Germany, at this point controlled by the Soviets. And he's thinking he's going to get a socialist paradise. And when he arrives, he begins to see that very quickly, that it's a place full of intrigue. It's a place full of, uh, it's a lost country. And the reason I really want to make the film because the lead character, Alex, he's a man with a spine who stands up the right morals and the right ideals in a world where, you know, the Russians are assholes, 
the Soviets. Soviets are assholes. The American government are assholes. The German government are assholes all around them. The only good people are the people. And every every single every single system around him is designed to to oppress the man. So I think today's day and age, we kind of lack characters who really stand up for what they believe in. And this film has that at its core, surrounded by great action stuff and uh, a truly honest romantic uh, romantic angle that when I read the book, it just resonated that there's pain in this character. And I love characters who, you know, who have that, you know, broken past. Wow. I said too many words anyway. Oh yeah. That was great. It seems like there'll still be that parallel of action, but it does seem more deeper and emotional. And so it seems like you'll be exploring new territory at the same time. I need to, right? it's, it's the way it works is that, you know, hardcore was a silly movie made for 15 year old me. Nobody I shot with my dad in mind. Cause he can't really go to the movies anymore. Cause all, a good storytelling transition to streamers and right. TV shows. And I think the next one is going to be uh, an even deeper film in terms of its emotional aspect and storytelling uh, with m- bigger and more important things to say. Uh, so I, I think every film is a learning process. And as I'm working my way towards, towards what I think is, I know there's a way to make big movies that are smart. And some people do get a chance to make that. And I'm earning my, my right uh, it, it just takes time and I'm enjoying, I'm very much enjoying the process and I'm enjoying the movies I get to make uh, right now. It's a, it's a complete blessing. I'm, I feel very happy to have had the opportunity to do hardcore and then to do this and we'll see what happens next. Yeah. Well, looking forward to leaving Berlin and congratulations on nobody this weekend. I'm sure it'll do well and I'll probably go out and watch on the big screen since that's oh, where it really is meant to be seen that film but thanks so much Ilya for taking the time I appreciate it pleasure all right you take care now thank you so much thanks so much for tuning in please take a moment to subscribe to the Hollywood podcast for free on iTunes or your favorite podcast app until next time you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Max Geshwind thanks for listening thanks for listening